Hi, I'm Roger Martin from the Rotman School of Management. My latest research is on social entrepreneurship. It's an important rising force in the world, but one that isn't well enough understood, I think, to properly support it. So I've written a book that's just come out with a wonderful woman named Sally Osberg called Getting Beyond Better, which describes what social entrepreneurship is, um, how it's different from government-led transformation and business-led transformation and strikes a balance between the two factors in order to change what are unhelpful, unpleasant equilibria. That can be done by governments acting on mandate, business by creating a for-profit uh, product, but the world now has many situations where it takes a social entrepreneur to enter a field of play to create a solution that lies between those two poles. As Muhammad Yunus did uh, with microcredit, uh, that wasn't government, it wasn't pure for profit, it was in between and transformed an unpleasant equilibrium of women who could not work their way out of poverty in Bangladesh to being able to uh, do so. So the world of social entrepreneurship is one of great promise that I'm working with colleagues to try and understand and describe better so that we can have more social entrepreneurs and they can be supported better by foundations and governments going forward. My name is Mark Esposito. I'm a professor at the Grenoble Graduate School of Business and Harvard University's Division of Continuing Education and my work in progress is called Circular Economy. So what is a circular economy? Many people think it's about environment and recycling. Well, that's the very beginning of the story, but there's more to this. Circular economy is the ability for companies to look at the value chain and inspire themselves from where they can potentially reinvent themselves in a number of ways. They can lease part of their assets. There's so much space that they not utilize every day. There are so many cars parking garages and parking lot every day they're not used. There are many office spaces that are not used during the day. So we really have a number of opportunities to really access resources that are already there. It can also be uh, utilizing a resources that we don't see because we have never really explored them. It's thinking about ways turning into wealth, uh, like it was also mentioned by other scholars. It's really an array of opportunities for us to think about what can we do with uh, the end of the process. So in a nutshell, it's moving from cradle to grave, which is what we have been doing for so long, to cradle to cradle. That's the circular economy. I'm Anil Gupta, Michael Lingman Chair in Strategy, Globalization and Entrepreneurship at the Smith School of Business, the University of Maryland. One of my current areas of research really is looking at emerging markets, what's going on and where they are headed, what it means for companies. One of the biggest questions for investors and corporations these days is, is the emerging market story over? Was it just a flash in the pan? Should we get back to the apparent safety and prosperity of the developed markets? Obviously, the emerging markets currently are facing serious headwinds. Growth rate in emerging markets is down for the fifth straight year in a row. The breakneck days of the days of breakneck growth in China are gone for good. The commodity super cycle has come to an end. Given the strength of the US dollar and global volatility, 
Investors are looking for safe havens. That means that for the first time since the 1980s, this year, capital outflows from emerging markets will actually exceed capital inflows. And of course, as a result of all this, the currencies of many of the emerging markets have depreciated quite significantly. It's important, however, to look at the kind of advice we would give to the casino gambler, to the weather watcher, to the Wall Street investor. We shouldn't get too carried away by current events and look at the future from the perspective of both breadth as well as history. If you look at emerging markets, back in 2000, they accounted for 21% of the world's GDP. Notwithstanding currency depreciation, the share of emerging markets in the world economy has continued to rise every year. This year, in 2015, it will be close to 40%. According to the IMF, in 2025, emerging markets will account for almost half of the world's GDP. Also, the structure of emerging markets is changing. Today's emerging markets is not, are not, your father's third world anymore. The population is young. Africa's population is 10 years younger than world average. India's population is 20 years younger than that of Europe and Japan. This population is now connected, which means they are more literate, they are better informed, they are more ambitious, and they are more entrepreneurial. This population is also more urban. The role of the state is declining and in fact way down, leading markets to play a bigger role. Yes, infrastructure and governance continue to remain a serious challenge in many emerging markets. However, on every continent on Earth, including Sub-Saharan Africa, the quality of governance and the quality of infrastructure today is better than what it was 10 years back. Translated, yes, some emerging markets are going to get trapped where they are. Some will move far too slowly, but in the aggregate, emerging markets are where the growth opportunities lie. If that's what your company needs, if that's what you as an investor need, you have no choice but to stay engaged with emerging markets. Are you ready for this brave new world? Hello, I'm Professor Juan Pablo Vázquez Sampere. I'm a professor of business administration at IE Business School, and my current research is focused on solving customer uncertainty, which is a part of predictive entrepreneurship. Customer uncertainty is about predicting what the customer will buy before the customer actually is exposed to the offerings that are available. And we do that with new predictive causal methods that help not only gain companies new market footholds, but also predict what the customers will need before they are even able to verbalize it in the first place. Thank you. Hi, uh, this is Navi Raju. I am an innovation advisor based in uh, Silicon Valley. And my work in progress, the idea that I've been investigating now is this uh, concept of the age of convergence. So what I begin to see is that actually increasingly 
uh, some of the issues we are facing around the world, whether it's uh, environmental issues or social issues, are starting to look similar, whether you are in the so-called first world nations like United States or Europe, or you are in the southern hemisphere in places like India, where I am from. Just pick two areas. Uh, for example, uh, I live in California, where we face severe uh, water shortage. Uh, now, this is something interesting because Silicon Valley is home to some of the richest people, and yet we are going to have major uh, scarcity of water. That's something that I experienced when I was a kid growing up in India. Uh, or take the case of uh, chronic diseases. Uh, today we have 70% of the uh, cancer cases uh, in emerging markets, developing nations, uh, and we have an explosion of uh, diabetes and cardiovascular diseases in places like India and China. So what it means is that we are witnessing what I call the rise of problems without borders. Uh, these are problems that have no more to do with the first world or the third world. These are problems that face the entire humanity. Uh, so I'm looking at how we can use the principles of frugal innovation to basically uh, engage innovators from developed countries as well as emerging nations to co-create uh, frugal solutions in areas like healthcare, education, energy, et cetera, that will benefit the entire humanity. Welcome to the age of convergence. My name is Sid Finkelstein. I'm a professor at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College and also the faculty director of the Leadership Center. My work in process is this new book that's been 10 years in process called Superbosses that will be out in 2016. The core idea in Superbosses is that uh, people can get much, much better in whatever they do when they help other people get better. In fact, a very good definition of leadership is leaders are people that create other leaders. Super bosses help other people get better. And by the way, I'm not just talking about mentorship in any traditional way. There's some really tough characters there as well. For example, Larry Ellison. Larry Ellison, the CEO of, of Oracle. He's known for not being a particular soft touch. In fact, in the book, I call him a glorious bastard. Uh, but what actually happens is he pushes people so hard and inspires them to do more than they ever thought possible that their careers are launched and they're well on their way to success. Superboss is all about people like Larry Ellison and many others that create some of the world's best talent. My name is Shubir Chaudhuri. I'm the chairman and CEO of ASI Consulting Group. I also consult uh, all types of organizations. My latest work is in the area of connecting the dot between quality and economics. Um, one of the things what I find is that majority of the public policymakers around the world is advised by economists. And unfortunately, economists, they know what is good and what is bad. But if you ask an economist if they can transform from bad to good, majority of the economists will fail. And my latest idea is, and the work I'm working on, is how to partner with the economist and teach them the process efficiency so that they can become a better economist and maybe they can also solve a lot of the problem of the different nations because majority of the time economists are advising to the presidents and the prime ministers of the countries. But on the other hand, if you ask any citizen of any country, is in the public sector or the private sector has the most inefficient 
processes, you'll find the answer will be always being in public sector. So the latest work I'm working on is on the idea of how I connect the dot between quality and economics. Hi, my name is Neeraj Dawar. I'm professor of marketing at the Ivy Business School in Canada. I'm also author of Tilt, Shifting Your Strategy from Products to Customers. What I'd like to talk about today is some work in progress that I'm, uh, uh, I'm conducting with uh, my team uh, and my co-authors and uh, some PhD students. One of the, you know, the starting point for this research is a question. The question is, where does competition happen? Does competition happen in the marketplace? Does comp do brands compete with each other on the shelf? Do they compete with each other online? And the answers to all of those questions are certainly they do, but the answer that interests me the most is that they compete with each other inside the customer's mind. Once we have this avenue to explore, what, what I try and do in my work in progress is to try and map what the marketplace looks like in the customer's mind. And we hone in on two dimensions, how central certain brands are to their product category. For example, Coca-Cola is very central to the cola category uh, and other brands are less central. So we have one dimension of centrality along which customers organize brands or organize uh, brands in the marketplace in their mind. The other dimension that we look at is distinctiveness or how distinctive a brand is relative to other brands in its category. And by putting these two dimensions together, we start to get an understanding of different types of marketplace positioning. For example, brands that are both central and distinctive tend to be aspirational. In the automobile category, for example, brands such as Mercedes and BMW are in this category. Brands such as Toyota and Honda and Ford are more mainstream. They are highly central but not very distinctive. And highly distinctive brands such as Tesla, Mini, and Smart are not very central. Brands that are neither central nor distinctive tend to be peripheral, such as Mazda or Kia. We have different types of brand strategies in different positions, and we are linking them to locations in the customer's mind. That's my current research. We hope to ha um, be able to report back uh, next year with, with a, lo a lot more in terms of findings. Thank you for listening. That was a Thinkers 50 podcast. Thinkers 50 podcasts are produced by KDH Creative.